music that's made for media, it's all kind of the same philosophy. At the end of the day, you're trying to just elevate and support whatever's happening on screen, or in our case, on audio, the narration or the or the interview, I'm trying to support that and kind of guide the listener a little bit with, you know, the way we want to make them feel. That's Jess Gromit. He's a musician, songwriter, and audio producer based in Nashville, Tennessee. He custom composes much of our original music for our clients here at Relationary Marketing. He even created the music you're listening to right now. Jess joins us to explain why music is an important piece of the podcast puzzle. In this episode, he shares how podcast music should add brand identity without distracting the listener while they're hearing your core message. You're in for a treat because he's about to walk you through from start to finish his process for creating music that fits each show uniquely. Welcome to Brandcasting with Relationary Marketing, the show all about how to build a professional branded podcast that delivers on your business's goals. I'm your host, Clark Buckner, partner and co-founder here at Relationary. We're a turnkey podcast production agency for B2B content marketing. We help brands and agencies create engaging content to establish thought leadership, nurture key relationships, and promote events. For a recap and transcript of this episode and to download our free five-step guide to building a branded podcast, head on over to relationarymarketing.com slash podcast. Now, let's jump in. I am a musician. I make music for a living. So that's touring around, playing shows, or in some cases, working with a company like Relationary Marketing, doing editing, mixing, production. Uh, and I do some songwriting as well. Excellent. I remember at one point we were on a trip. We were in San Diego, and you were telling me, basically, for a living, I sell air. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. That's just, Well, that's what you do, too, really. Tell me more about what that means to you, <laughs> if you sell air. Well, I mean, that's all that sound is, is it's, and some, you know, audio engineer is going to, punching me for probably botching this or something but you're basically just pushing air like a speaker is pushing air at different frequencies and that's i mean that's all that's happening even even into our headphones right now it's being processed through some electrical currents and some converters but at the end of the day we're just selling air so i'm, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up that's so funny i can't i can't even take credit for that quote but it's a good one i love it though. and i'm always hearing some fun things like that because you've studied music all of your life and then that's you know we met at belmont university here in nashville and We got to work together since, on and off, and then more recently, pretty regularly now, which has been great. But you actually started off studying classical guitar, right, at Belmont? Yes, technically, because I I actually auditioned for their commercial program and didn't make it in. Um, Their loss. Well, I ended up auditioning in and stuff, but yeah, initially I was was in the, the classical program because that's sort of where a lot of my, just growing up playing piano and clarinet and things in band... Um, that was more where my instincts were. So I had to kind of relearn the practice of of commercial music. And so I worked my way in and got in. But yes, that's... You did get you back in. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And not everybody in college actually ends up using their skills. I feel like you've not only used it, but you've thrived. You travel the world now, touring. It's been a real deal. It's been it's been a roller coaster ride, but I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. It's amazing. Whenever we tell people when we're talking to either current clients or new potential new clients we always say all the music 
we custom compose for them. It's all made by local Nashville musicians, and they think that's the coolest thing, just because of mm-hmm. Nashville and the the attractiveness of it. And you're definitely you've been from the beginning one of our key people that we always can turn to and you always hit the mark with creating just wonderful music for any of these projects. We have a couple examples we'll talk about today, but we want to kind of get into the mind of you, someone who is a professional musician, talk about the importance of sound and podcasts, but really want to talk more about music and the role music plays for podcasts. So, how about we just start off with some tactical things of when you think about music and podcasts, so our approach, what comes to mind, what matters, what doesn't? I'm just kind of firing from the hip here. Sure, absolutely. Well, it seemed like most of the time when we get a new request from a client for a custom composition, the best process that always works is they're able to give us a list of adjectives. Um, so like, you know, something that's bouncy but not too playful. That I, I like when they when they they'll give us one thing and then a qualifier, but so energetic but not like sassy or a lot of these companies want to appeal to modern audiences i mean that's probably the reason they're getting into podcasting in the first place but they don't want to be appearing like they're too pandering so it's kind of finding something that that meets that middle ground and it's it's actually a lot like the way i describe just the process of composition is a lot like cooking in that you know if you want something to taste spicy you, there's certain you can put paprika in there a number of things and music's totally the same way. I'm trying to think of an example that, that we've maybe had. Something that I think is so funny that people say is techno. These, that is I think that's so funny because that could mean a million different things. But when I hear that as someone that makes music for podcasts, that typically means they want something that sounds electronic. So I'll use an electronic drum machine or I'll use a software synthesizer. That's usually more of a color thing that's cool. than a musical element. That's um, helpful. I love yeah. hearing that. Any other examples mm-hmm. that come to mind? I can think of places like, say, if someone wanted to make something that sounded beachy, there's colors you could use for that, like a steel drum or ukulele, a pedal steel guitar, kind of the Hawaiian element. If someone wanted something that sounded like West European, Spanish, there's a couple different scales. There's a Spanish Phrygian scale that that's way down in the music theory rabbit hole, but there's just different scales and different things that you can use. I remember there was one client that we had that wanted sort of a special Halloween spooktacular kind of episode thing. So there's just tricks there, like minor chords. Uh, the dominant of, of a minor key, that's like kind of a spooky sounding. There's like a lot of things harmonically you can do, different sound design things. Like I have this sample library on my computer. It's made by Native Instruments called The Giant that's basically someone recorded a bunch of noises of them hitting a piano, like the, the guts of a piano and scraping the strings and like flicking it. And it's all these weird sort of spooky sounds that our ears don't recognize. And that's the kind of thing that I would use for like a spooky thing. I'll start with a rhythmic groove to with podcast music because um, even a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and reference, uh, the music that they have is something that's not too harmonically, melodically distracting because you don't want to be singing along with it um, unless it's isolated. You know, it's like a catchy theme song. But if it's music that's underneath some narration, you don't want it to be distracting from what's happening in the narration. And the best way to do that usually and keep that sort of feeling of momentum going is with some kind of rhythmic bed. So a lot of the music that I end up creating for this stuff is like almost entirely rhythm, rhythmically focused. So when you say that, is it more of just like, like can you describe that a little more deeper of just sure. what you're describing? Because that sure. might be a good segue to a clip mm-hmm. we've got. Um, well, one thing that comes to mind is the music that I did for the Jack Daniels podcast. Okay, I thought is you were going to say clip? that. So yeah, when it's inside their Lynchburg distillery, 
you know, every drop of Jack Daniels comes right out of Lynchburg, Tennessee. And I remember hearing this. So it's the sound of single barrels coming down the line, and they're holding each bottle by hand, inspecting it, and it just created this rhythmic sound. And this doesn't always rise as quickly and clearly, but in this case, I remember sitting in the studio later on, and I was sharing this with you, and you were sharing some of your thoughts on it. So when you, when you think back to that sound, how did that guide you on that music? It was the perfect starting point because, again, being able to have some kind of rhythmic reference is such an easy place to start. It's a good backbone for the music. Um, and in the case of the clip that you just played, um, you can hear that it's a constant rhythm. And so I basically took, I chopped up a certain point of that, of the audio file that you gave me and found what tempo it was at. And I actually worked with a friend of mine, his name's Taylor Watson. Um, he's a drummer in town and, and actually now he's a tour manager. So he's traveling all around the world doing that. And he's still playing drums, but at the time that's kind of how we knew each other playing in bands together. Um, so I had him record a couple loops of him playing drums over the top of those sounds of the bottles. And additionally, he took some some weird percussive sounds that he had around his house, like sheets of metal and glass bottles and kind of added some layers of that, chains, uh, layers of that just very dirty organic noises, very natural stuff. So we started with that and then I put on top uh, some bass guitar, electric guitars, acoustic guitars, and deliberately played it in a way that felt not too heady, not too professional, in a way that was a little sloppy because when I think about the music and, and the musical heritage of you know where we're from, the South and Tennessee, and it's a lot of just kind of oral tradition music, music that isn't written down, uh, music that's not too organized, it's, just, it's all feel and all instinct. Um, so that, I mean, it's just one chord basically. It's this sort of this funky A situation happening over the rhythmic bed of the drums and the bottles. Um, so it all kind of comes together to create this vibe that feels like you're in Lynchburg, you know, listening to someone picking guitar on their porch or something, you know? Oh man, I love it so much. And so when it all comes together, it sounds like this. Very rock and it's roll. like yeah, rock and roll, bluesy. It's like mm -hmm. this very particular vibe you're trying to take from the adjectives we had. Mm -hmm. Man, I just love the way all that came together. Another, I mean, we can't go through all these, but another one I love that kind of reminds me of that. Um, it's this podcast we do called Navigate, and it's through the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. And let's talk a little about that one. And I know you created like a collection, kind of like a sound design for this that had not only the theme music, but other elements created from that that we can use throughout the show. But that shows a little more narrative, um, which is a little higher touch, more labor intensive, but here's one of my favorite clips from that. What motivated you in the, the way to create this music? Well, I think going back to our adjectives and our ingredients and our recipes metaphor, I think what you had asked me to do was because, you know, we're working out of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and that's the podcast there. You wanted something that felt Nashville, whatever that means. That could mean so many different things. Um, but luckily for me, that's easy because this is where I live and this is where I create music. So naturally, a lot of the things that are in my toolbox as a musician are things that people would call Nashville. Country guitar playing, rock guitar playing, that kind of stuff is just my bread and butter as a professional. So it was easy to pull out whenever you asked to do that kind of thing. 
So with that track in particular, I think I started with a drum loop. That sounds like it was a drum loop. There's a company in town called That Sound. Little plug, shameless plug. They're like a really, really great drum sample library. Um, it's Paul Mabry, um, who's a fantastic drummer, and, and he has a business partner. I can't think of his name. I use their drum sounds for just about everything, and I find that their loops are really inspiring to start things with just because, you know, it's a really great drummer getting great sounds through great gear, and it comes out sounding like that. So I think in this case, I started with one of their loops. I actually I booked a day over at the Spotify studio in East Nashville, it's a secret genius Spotify studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really it. great. It's it's just a great space to write and create. So, and they have all these guitars and and basses and things. So I picked up the, one of the basses that they had and just kind of started jamming with that loop, playing along to it, um, and found something that felt good. And then I, they had a Les Paul, I think, that I doubled, just some kind of low stuff, and just kind of sprinkled other little toppings on, you know, an organ and some percussion and elements like that. But again, I mean. Just to go back to the whole rhythmic bed thing, I, one of the first things that I think of when I hear that is just the rhythmic character of it and less of like, you couldn't really sing that back to me, you know, but you could kind of maybe sing, oh yeah, it's like, like you, you remember that. And so that's, at the end of the day, that's what I want the music to be is, is just rhythmic because it drives the momentum forward. And it gives the impression of forward movement, but then not too distracting either. I love that because we often like to say you would notice if the music was not there but mm-hmm. sometimes when the music's there it's like we just want it to be a cushion mm-hmm. to support what the content is describing it just has that feel that it is it matches our number one adjective i think that goes across all of our podcasts and that is authenticity mm-hmm. and like if you were just saying jess it's all about how is this pushing forward the message and so we were at PodX. It's a podcasting conference that came through Nashville, and we got to meet Jonathan Mitchell. He's a really talented audio producer, sound designer, and here's just a little clip we had talking to him. I, I feel like sound design should be should come from content, so it should be uh, it should start with what you're trying to communicate and be an extension of that. So you're choos- making sound design choices based on how you want people to feel about what you're saying and uh, and what it means, and um, you're trying to reinforce that. Of course, he has more of a B2C approach, while we're kind of focusing in more on this B2B approach, but no matter where you're creating podcast content, the music has to be supportive of the bigger picture, and that's the message. Agreed, yeah. absolutely. It's It's kind of like when you think of your favorite movie soundtracks and... TV soundtracks, any music that's made for media, it's all kind of the same philosophy. At the end of the day, you're trying to just elevate and support whatever's happening on screen, or in our case, on audio, the narration or the or the interview, trying to support that and kind of guide the listener a little bit with, you know, the way we want to make them feel or the way that we hope they feel. Do you have any specific mm-hmm. tactics on how that actually works? Any strategies that mm-hmm. have really worked well for you to actually support what is being said Mm -hmm. via the podcast music there's just certain techniques that uh, there's certain things in music that through various i mean honestly a lot of it is social cues you know uh, us as people in the world and, and experiencing culture and watching movies we've kind of been conditioned to think that certain chord structures and and harmonic ideas mean certain things like a minor chord feels sad I don't really understand a lot of music psychology, so maybe there's more. There's probably a lot more to it than that. But my guess is 
we've all grown up hearing so many movie soundtracks and TV soundtracks that we've just kind of been conditioned to think that there's certain cues that direct us to certain emotions. I guess that's the best, I mean, without getting too heady into music theory, that's the way I would describe it. So going back to what, you know, what we had talked about with the rhythmic stuff, the reason I go with that approach, I could, if I wanted to, I could hire a string quartet and play really slow, sad chords. That's not going to work for a podcast about retire happy, about investment advice or or navigate about being an entrepreneur. I think a common thread with a lot of our clients is being B2B. A lot of the content, it needs to be fresh and intriguing and professional. And it's interesting. It's not quite as emotional. Like, you know, we're not trying to make people cry, really. We want people to be interested and intrigued. So the way that I think of of that basically is har- harmony that rather than being really gut-punching and heart-wrenching is something that's a little easy on the ears. Um, so if we want to get into theory, a tonic chord and a, I think it's it's been a while since college, subdominant, the four chord, those are kind of soft, easy chords that I rely on a lot as a focal point for the music. And then again, having that rhythmic force kind of driving things lends to that sense of forward motion and like, oh, like... I do want to hear what they're talking about. What's what's next? I love it. Next, could you tell us a little about your creative process? Where's that at today? How do you describe that? Mm-hmm. You're such an interesting dude, so I'd love to. Just I kind mean, of hear. I don't. I don't know. It's just what I, I like hear, to do at the yeah, end. Yeah, when, when you're songwriting and mm-hmm. creating content for us or your clients on the road or whatever, what mm-hmm. you know, what comes to mind? Well, the the really important things that I always try to make sure I have when I'm sitting down to create something is kind of having a plan and the space and the time and making sure I can follow through. And I think that's a thing a lot of creatives struggle with is is the feeling that, you know, you need to have some creative spark or something. And that's important, but I think it's equally important to just set aside a block of time and give yourself a couple ingredients or guidelines. For example, I just finished working on an album with a good friend of mine and our process... plug. Uh, his name's Chris Lee. That's Chris he's, Lee. He's I awesome. thought you were talking about Chris yeah, Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an actor, and he's a really talented guy and, and one of my best friends. Um, and it was a blast working on his music uh, over the past month and a half. But the way that we did that is is sort of a good glimpse into, I guess, what I do creatively. So we actually sat down and talked through a sonic palette, sort of a thing about, you know, like an artist's palette of colors. We wanted to do the same thing with our album because it's 15 songs, um, we didn't want everything to be too all over the place. We wanted, because we thought about our favorite albums, right? And how in a lot of cases, a lot of our favorite albums are things that you can listen from start to finish and they feel like they live in their own world sonically. Um, so we started with there. We we decided, okay, drum machines, uh, Rhodes piano, electric bass, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, um, upright piano. And basically we made the whole album with that stuff and a couple other... Oh, and, and then we had this Insonic old uh, synthesizer, analog synthesizer. But outside of that, we didn't really do much else because I actually had a really great teacher at Belmont, Keith Mason, who is, he heads the music tech department. And he, he always would say that it's really useful and helpful to have limitations when you're creating something because it forces you to get more creative and, and come up with better ideas. I mean, it's, again, going back... I'm going to keep going back to cooking if someone told you, okay, like put you in a grocery store and said, make me dinner, that's a little bit overwhelming, right? But if they gave you a box of pasta and some tomatoes and said, okay, make me dinner, well, you're, you're going to be a little bit more guided in what you're doing. I love it. 
So a final thing is, I mean, we've been talking about all these different approaches to making one-of-a-kind music. Because all the music we create, not only is it made by a local national musician, it's all completely original for the client. What are the pros and cons of having custom-created music versus just royalty-free? Sure. I'll, I'll start with royalty-free. Pros there is it's a little, maybe it might be less expensive. I haven't visited a library in a while, but I assume it's probably less expensive. And there's so much music out there that, you will probably find something that you're looking for, but that's also the con, is that it's going to take a while to find exactly what you're looking for. And I have a feeling a lot of times that you might find a track that you like and end up kind of crafting the narration around it, and that's not good. We want we want it to be the other way around. Um, and that's sort of the pro of having custom-composed music for a podcast is that people like me are able to shape the music around what's already there, the narrate, kind of like scoring a film. It's not inherently distracting. It's not the focal point. Um, and I feel like a lot of the royalty-free music tends to be a little musically distracting a lot of times um, because the people that are creating it are creating it standalone. They're not creating it with the narration in mind. That's a great point because whenever we create music for a client, we don't send it to them standalone. We send it to them with it embedded in the audio. Right. So anything else that we've not touched on that is on your mind about creating music, creating podcast music, whatever? All I can say is that I'm really grateful to be doing what I'm doing, and I hope whoever's listening to this yeah, gets yeah, inspired yeah. and feels, you know, like, because anyone can do this as, as long as you set your mind to it and set goals and keep working, so. Jess, you're the man. Thank you so you're much. You're the man, How Clark. can someone follow along with you in your journey or connect with you or whatever sure um the best place i i have a website but I, if anyone wants to help me build it that'd be great i'm working on it so um but i probably the the place that i'm updating my life most frequently is instagram and that's just my name jess gromit uh i guess instagram.com slash j-e-s-s-g-r-o-m-m-e-t insta all right man thanks so much for spending some time with us no problem thanks for having me clark Thanks for listening to Brandcasting with Relationary Marketing. We're a turnkey podcast production agency for content marketing. And we'd love to hear from you. For a recap and transcript of this episode, and to download our free five-step guide to building a branded podcast, visit relationarymarketing.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Are you hungry for more helpful tips on how to build a branded podcast? Stay on the lookout because season two of Brandcasting is coming soon. We've got a lot in store, including how to use podcasts as part of live events, like conferences, trade shows, and special events, all with the goal to promote brand awareness, connect with new customers, and amplify the experience for attendees. Brandcasting is a production of Relationary Marketing. This episode was produced by Simon Mack, and executive producers, me, Clark Buckner, and Chuck Bryant, with editing by Dylan Caro, music by Jess Gromit, and additional production support provided by Anthony Luciani, AJ Myers, Riley Wallace, and Jasmine Merriweather. 